My name is Linda Williams, and this is Reality Skimming. Reality Skimming chat with Edward Willett. Hey. Hi. Okay, so welcome, Edward Willett, to Reality Skimming. And Thank you. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen you. I have been off the uh, con circuit for a while. Well, everybody's uh, been off the con circuit for a while. Oh, really? <laughs> there okay. simply haven't been any cons for a while. Oh, re oh of course, with the, uh, the COVID-19, yeah. Last yeah. thing I went to was World Fantasy in Los Angeles in 2019. was the last convention I was at. So. It, it really is different, isn't it? You know, everyone is... Uh, it, it sort of changes your rhythm of your life, and then you have to make decisions about which pieces you want to add back in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to Sask Expo this weekend. I'll have a table up there, so that'll be fun. Oh, cool. Well, I just uh, was looking at your website um, recently, and you have some really interesting projects going on there that I wanted to talk to you about. And just to let you know a little bit about my podcast, I'm casting my own fiction, but I am also doing chats with people like you, kindred spirits, just about the whole creative process and about uh, their projects and um, science fiction, fantasy overlap with life. So Sounds you've got a press that you're running. Can you tell me something more about that? Yeah, well, Shadowpaw Press um, started well, I had a couple of projects I knew for sure I wanted to bring out. One was a collection of my short fiction called Paths to the Stars, and the other was the first World War memoirs of my grandfather-in-law, which ended up being called One Lucky Devil. And I was, you know, just going to put them out as myself, self-publish. But I was talking to local publishers, and one of them in particular suggested, uh, you know, with everything you're interested in and, every and have done, you ought to think about actually starting your own publishing company. And I thought about it, and I did a lot of research, and I pulled the trigger in 2018, and I did that. So my first two projects were my collection of short fiction and then my grandfather-in-law's First World War memoirs. The next year, I mostly spent uh, reprinting my own stuff, republishing my own stuff, because I've, <laughs> as I like to say, I've killed a lot of publishers over the years. Uh -huh. uh, yes, that's metaphorically. a good way to think of it. <laughs> <laughs> and so the books have come back to me and they weren't out there. So I thought I'd put those out. But now increasingly, I'm starting to move beyond that and have published, uh, well, two major anthologies and um, kick, have just kickstarted the third one. And uh, this uh, this year, I'm starting to, to republish works by other authors who have been orphaned by publishers who went away. And also, I'm publishing brand new work from other authors. So I'm moving more and more into that sort of traditional publishing mode. <laughs> uh, yeah. it's, it's a lot of work, but I am enjoying it. So that's, oh, yeah, that's it is I'm a lot of about. work. I, I did that for a bit and I've um, with Reality Skimming Press, as you might remember. And, yeah. uh, and life got a bit choppy and it just wasn't sustainable. But um, it is a lot of work. I think it's a great experience for a writer to do it though because it does give you an appreciation for the other side of the fence which is not to say anything is black and white but uh there's a lot of well, risks involved and costs and technology and everything is making it more approachable than it would have been at one time for sure um but yeah i'm i'm experimenting and uh, i've you know we'll see i'm i'm going into the publishing other people thing fairly uh, slowly i just have uh, two new titles i'm bringing out this fall and we'll see how that goes before i open up to anything else but uh, 
I'm excited about it. Yeah, it is a very exciting idea. And what I think is particularly exciting about it is you are saying that you will republish people who have been, as you said, orphaned by their publishers. There's so much good work out there that doesn't fit the new five seconds on the shelf and then it's gone model that yeah, really that's been, had a grip on everything. That's been really interesting because of course I imagined myself when I was starting that it would largely be science fiction and fantasy. But then again, my second book was actually nonfiction, First World War Memoirs. Um, and actually on the, it's called, the imprint is called Shadowpaw Press, Shadowpaw Press Reprise, whereas my original stuff is under the premier imprint. So I even have, actually have three imprints. I have another one called Attic, which is where I'll throw anything that doesn't fit the other two. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, that's the uh, thing about marketing that always got up my nose is that I've always been eclectic and uh, it, it's just like you have to pigeonhole yourself so much. So I really like that. I love your attic. Well, and the reprise one is uh, certainly eclectic because once I opened it up, uh, the first thing I took on was uh, do a tarot. And what these are, are they're brand new ebook and print on demand um, editions. Uh, it's not like I'm doing a big print run or anything like that. And it's hard to get these, be hard to get these in book stores, even if I were a bigger publisher because they've already been in bookstores. Right, exactly. But, uh, it, it gets them back out into the marketplace. And the first one was uh, Do a Tarot, which is a uh, science fiction, far future science fiction story by Brad C. Anderson that was originally published by Bundoran Press. And uh, But then the next one that came along is uh, a novel in verse called Stay, which was the winner of a national, international um, poetry award for children. And it's by a noted Saskatchewan uh, poet, Catherine Lawrence, and it was orphaned by Coteau Books here in Saskatchewan. So I'm publishing poetry now, which I never really thought of. And I'm publishing another poet, uh, Belinda Betker, coming up pretty soon. She had a book called The Phases, which will be coming out once. She's actually revising it. So sometimes the authors are, hey, this is a chance to put some new stuff in there. So, so that'll be coming out. And then I've also taken on a couple of collections of nonfiction that'll be coming out. And then I, on the other hand, I do have Leslie Gadala's uh, Empire of Kaz science fiction trilogy and a standalone called Legend of Sarah, which had been published by Five Rivers, another small publisher that's gone mm, away, yes, five. which I'm going to bring back to life. And those are particularly interesting because they go way back to Del Rey. Well, the, uh, the two books of the trilogy go back to, and Legend of Sarah, I think, go back to Del Rey back in the late, like in the 1980s or 1990s is when they were published. So these are, but uh, they are kind of, you know, important early works of Canadian science fiction. And uh, so I'll, I'll be bringing those out. And I don't know what else might come over the transom at any moment. <laughs> that is really cool. And and there's more connections between things than and just theme. You know, there's connections of place and people and, and association. And so I love your, I love your, what you're doing. I'm envious in a way. I mean, that's in a little bit of the kind of thing I was thinking about doing in my own retirement until things changed but uh so you're an inspiration in and uh, <laughs> i should have been keeping a closer eye on what you're up to i noticed that your uh, shapers of worlds uh anthologies that you're putting out you have new fiction from people like candace jane dorsey and susan forrest and james allen gardner even matthew hughes lots of people i recognize here that's uh that's very cool so this is a new work that you're getting from these authors and other authors and publishing? Yes, this was all born out of my own podcast. Uh, back in, again, in 2018, uh, I had a new series starting from DAW called uh, World Shaper, World Shapers. 
And so the first book coming out was called World Shaper. And I started a podcast called World Shapers, where I talk to other science fiction and fantasy authors about the creative process. It's very focused on nuts and bolts of writing, and of course, the biography of the author and whatever else comes along, but that's kind of the focus of it. And um, that had been going on for six months, maybe. And one of the things about being a publisher now is that I am part of Sask Books, which is the Saskatchewan Association of Publishers. In fact, I'm the vice president as of recently. And um, so at the annual meeting, they had a publisher, one of the you know, guest speakers was a publisher from Winnipeg, now also gone, but there's a publisher from Winnipeg <laughs> that came in and she had successfully kickstarted an anthology. She'd raised $100,000 for an anthology of people I'd never heard of. Um, wow. the, what, what she had going for her and was that she was plugged into the comics side of things and they're mm. really big on Kickstarters. But I thought, you know, I know some authors and I thought about a Kickstarter, but it seemed like such a, a steep learning curve. But I did climb it. It took me a while. And I thought, well, the logical cutoff is, uh, I, well, first of all, I thought I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to my authors who are podcast guests. And uh, I thought the logical cutoff is uh, the end of the first year, which is about how when I finally got around to thinking I could do it. So that's what Shapers of Worlds was. I did a Kickstarter in March 2020. It's not like anything else interesting happened about that time. <laughs> um, that's when it ran, and it succeeded. And so the first one was called Shapers of Worlds, and it had nine original stories and nine reprints, because I opened it up to all my guests. I said, I'll take original stories or reprints, and 18 of those first-year guests, and even the ones who didn't say they could be part of it were very supportive of it. Uh, so I had new fiction from people like uh, Tanya Huff and uh, Seanan McGuire and and uh, people like that, and reprints from John Scalzi and you know Julie Shaneda and people like that. It was just, and Joe Haldeman, I mean, mm -hmm. come on. <laughs> David Brenn. It was just amazing, uh, the support that I had. And, right, uh, too, yeah. and that worked. Mm -hmm. So last year I said, well, let's do the second year guests. And this time I got 24 authors and 18 original stories and only six reprints for that one. So it had as many original stories as the entire first book. And again, it was like, you know, Kelly Armstrong and people like that. So another success and so i just did the third kickstarter and it succeeded as well so shapers of worlds volume three will be coming out this fall and it's a similar uh list of authors i've got like f paul wilson and cory doctorow with reprints in there and and uh and walter john williams you know people like that on the reprint side and on the uh on the original side uh, uh violet milan gerald brandt a couple of my fellow daw authors uh you know, it's, it's again, a, an amazing list of authors, and I'm very excited about it. That the I stories are already coming up, in. You know, so. like the, uh, again, it's that counter-pigeonholing. I, I respect and understand the narrowing nature of uh, marketing in a world where everyone's standing on a street corner shouting. I think yeah. for me, it's <laughs> always been that whole very necessary but very different skill set push has always been something that... Um, would, I had to balance carefully because it really crushed my desire to be doing anything. And oh, I'm very new at getting back in the game here with podcasting and looking at uh, reprinting through di the draft to digital and, and sort of sputtering at it a bit. But you have really gone, um, you've really been successful in uh, picking up the ball and running with the, the spirit of uh, 
science fiction publishing in Canada and with connections to other places in the world. But uh, I, I think this is just marvelous. I think you deserve a medal. <laughs> well, uh, what I'd really like is more people to buy the books. That would be, <laughs> I'd really yeah, but, like. <laughs> you know, don't we all? I mean, that's, um, I've always wrestled with that too. And, and then I had this epiphany when I was in my slump after kind of capitulating with Reality Skimming Press. Um, you know, that that what I really missed was the connections. What I really missed was the thinking and the the, the motivation. And uh, it, I was I would be happy if I had a small number of people buying books or even just experiencing them. I mean, there's so many different models you can go with, even if you do want to or need to make it about making money. Um, there's so many different models that you can go with these days. It's not just make a book and send it to a, a print store. Um, I had some interesting experiences with that, uh, where I would get, I got some of the books that uh, Reality Skim Press published, my daughter's books, um, the uh, Family Magic books. And we had a great time with those in some elementary schools, and we got them into chapters in the Lower Mainland. But they were mostly returned, like everyone who, people who went to ask for one purchased them, but otherwise there was no means of promoting them in the store or anything else. So you get a lot of them back and they charge you for returning them. So yeah. there's a real problem with print in that regard. You can only afford to go with people who are already sucking books through the store. You can't really do anything new or small or um, a startup. So we have to go somewhere else if we want to keep it alive. Yeah, they, it, you know, only a fraction of books that are printed ever make it into bookstores. Um, it, and any, the smaller the bookstore, the less likely it is that a book is going to be in there. So, uh, and there's nothing and, magic and the about the being in the bookstores. The, the, you know, the more aggressive they have to be about their profit margins. So, you know, it's a whole yeah. different realm. Um, but uh, there I, are different ways of doing it. There are. And, you know, mostly it's on, okay. So example with the anthologies, the first one, I piggybacked on uh, Radiant Press, which is a very going concern, Saskatchewan publisher now, and uh, which also has published in science fiction. In fact, one of the authors in book three is Robert G. Penner, and he, he had a, a book with them that did critically acclaimed kind of thing. Um, but um, I piggybacked on, on them because uh, uh, he said, well, he has, he's part of what's called Lit Distco, or Lit which is for literary presses across the country. And I haven't qualified to join. It's Literary Press Group, I think, is the name of the umbrella organization. I haven't qualified to join that yet. But that's that's their distribution network. So I piggybacked on his distribution. So the first book went out to bookstores. Um, and I did a print run because I got a grant for it. And, you know, I'm seeing some... Once a year, I get, well, you made $700 or you made $500 on this thousand copies that I had printed. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, so where the sales really are, though, for those books is, is e-books. Because uh, yeah. I'm selling one to, one to two copies of those every day on Amazon. And, oh, that's uh, good. You know, over I mean, time, that adds up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steady. You know, all you have to do is, is get, a, get your nose above water in terms of being noticed. And it's really hard these days. Um, well, it's the, a, it's the authors that I have in them that have made those books work because people aren't buying them because, uh, you know, I edited them. They're buying them because, oh, look, there's a story in here by uh, 
Candace J. Dorsey or you know, yeah. Kelly Armstrong or Shauna McGuire or somebody like that. Yeah, no, which is, um, which is neat too, because the way you've done that is through creating a sort of a process where there are the people that you interviewed on your podcast, you draw from that collection and, and, and there's, there's some energy there. They're going to be telling their fans about it. Uh, people who listen to your podcast will know about them. You, you've created community that then is something that can sell some books. Um, and, and books need the love. But uh, I, I also am doing, I, I was interested in a couple of other things. Uh, uh, one was you mentioned about not qualifying um, for yet for joining a, a distribution consortium and this whole business of what it means to be a legitimate publisher I think is interesting because like when I was doing reality skimming press because I was reprinting my own work um as my sort of foundation for getting going with it and one of my you know at least more than 50 percent of my motivation but I was publishing other works as well I did the collider um collaboration for example and and uh, other things but um the um the the sort of the official rules and as a librarian i'm well aware of that i have one of my roles as librarian um you know how that kind of structure works of how you get officially recognized and things and of course uh the era of this of self-publishing when it was uh, a negative thing when it was sort of proof that you couldn't make it with the big guys or in the real world of publishing or something so there, there was a prejudice against that um i think that's changing a bit um you mentioned your a relative for publishing their memoirs i published my daughter's books um using an illustrator from italy actually that i found on the internet um but those kind of things were frowned upon and probably are still frowned upon in some circles that mean that you're not an official publisher if you do that. Like the only legitimate way to be in this business is if you're just doing it for money and you're narrowly defined in the regular marketing kind of world. But if you look at history, that was not the case. Um, a lot of publishing was either self-publishing or was friend of a friend or you know there's lots of ways to getting started and lots of ways to be motivated to do it do you have any stories or um thoughts on this sort of business about how you become accepted uh in into the basket or if those distinctions don't matter anymore how that affects you and what you're doing um the main thing does go back to the fact that a lot of my books were by me the general like for a is it Literary Press Group? I, there's, they all have similar names. Um, I think it's LPJ, Literary Press Group. Um, one of the things is that you um, can't, that no more than 25% of your titles can be by some, by a principal of the company. So whether it's a sole proprietorship or if it was a partnership or whatever. Uh, and because I republished so many of my own books, that's one problem. One reason that I split it into Shadowpot Press Premier and Shadowpot Press Reprise was because I wanted to, Reprise is where most of my previously published stuff goes, and then only the original stuff, I'm well below 25% if you put in the anthologies, and I've really only published one original title of my own. Everything else has been something that was previously published. Um, so that was one reason I did that. I haven't gone back to them um, yet, but I probably will because I'm now publishing more other people. But it is a debate that goes on. I mean, as I said, I'm vice president of Sask Books, and that's actually something that's being discussed within Sask Books right now is, you know, 
how you make this distinction. And uh, one thing that used to be around was, well, I, I've, I saw this somewhere. Um, well, it, it, books have to be, you know, properly published, not print on demand. And I strongly made the point that print on demand is simply a technology. It's got nothing to do. Yeah. I mean, if you're being published through like Lightning Source or, or Ingram Spark, it's the same people really, um, you can get 10 books published, but you can do a thousand book print run through them if you want to. They're just a printer. It's just a technology. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, what I'm hearing now from some small publishers, including me, is that, you know, and if you're concerned about things like environmental footprint and so forth, the environmentally friendly way to do this is to print only what you need and, and only ship what you need to ship to places that actually want it, as opposed to uh, printing a whole bunch and storing them somewhere and shipping them out and then having them all shipped back when they're returned and, and all of that. So I think mm -hmm. the tech and the technology, I mean, I cannot tell the difference between a print on demand book and a, in fact, I would say some of my print on demand books look better than the ones that DAW has had printed wherever they got theirs printed. So <laughs> yeah, no, the technology you know, distinctions do seem pretty weird. Uh, I can see the, um, you know, the concerns about wanting to find a quick and easy way to distinguish between somebody doing up chat books in their basement that's entirely themselves, that has no sort of professional um, respect uh, and not wanting to have to, wanting to be able to have a way to say no to a situation like that. But um, I don't know, the only way I can make sense of the world these days is to just try and keep doing what I'm interested in doing and wait for the world to catch up because I mean, it's yeah. different if you need to be in part of a consortium in order to reach distribution or for other reasons. I mean, there's lots of, these things are never black and white, but it seems to me so often we get muddled in, you know, there's some kind of a gray zone or cloud. And because there are situations in which a library or a bookstore or some consortium or government agency needs to have tools for making decisions that are yes and no, um, we pick odd things. Um, yeah, there's so another one. Menagerie here. Oh, there we go. Um, there's, there's another one I ran into, which was uh, Saskatchewan Arts Board uh, provides funding for publishers at a certain point. Uh, the aforementioned Radiant Press has moved into a kind of a core funding model, I believe, uh, quite quickly from when they started. So they're actually getting quite a bit of Saskatchewan Arts Board money to continue their publishing program. And I could qualify for that, uh, not that level, but there's another level below that I could start qualifying for. But one of the things that's required is that there has to be an editorial board making decisions or contributing to the decisions on what gets published. And of course, I started a publishing company so I could publish whatever the heck I wanted to publish. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, there's ways around that. Obviously, I probably, you know, I talked to some people and they'd be happy to be on the board. And we, you know, ultimately, I guess it would still be the editor-in-chief's final decision on things. And maybe there'd be some, you know, it might be nice to have some other opinions. But at the same time, that just seems to me also a fairly arbitrary uh, arbitrary thing to require that you have a group of people making the decision as opposed to one person. So, and I don't know yeah. where some of this comes from. Uh, again, I think it's partly that business of wanting to have an Okram's razor of some sort uh, for your bureaucratic pros purposes, basically. 
And and while I understand that, I've worked, lived and worked in bureaucracies most of my life in the post-secondary system. Um, it, it is frustrating. I mean, sometimes it's it's important and, and sometimes it isn't. So I'm just exploring the, the phase of it isn't. Um, get my motivation back up because if you if you got involved in a thing for reason X and the only way you can remain involved in it or get back into it is to dedicate yourself to reason Y, which is sort of like the opposite of what it's about for you. It's very hard to uh, to rekindle your interest. And, and now I'm discovering since I started doing the podcast and I'm exploring draft to digital publishing and uh, podcasting my fiction and other ways of just exploring ways of getting it out there and connecting with people. What I'm finding is I'm regenerating my my interest and and uh, and then maybe I'll be able to add on some of those other things again and get back to the place where I'm doing something a, a little more broadly when I actually do retire. The other problem I have is that jobs keep coming along that I can take and I failed at retirement, basically, Ed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm now working full time um, uh, for a year. And uh, so I keep saying, you know, when I'm back to being really half time or just doing a simple half time job, um, then maybe I'll get back into this. But first, I need to restore and replenish my, my motivation and my joy of it before I can really seriously look at some of the uh, the outer the outer look of it and the marketing and that sort of thing. Um, but what you're doing really looks neat. So um, can you tell me a little bit more about your own, like you said, you haven't been publishing as much of your own work uh, recently. Are you experiencing a kind of a shift in your interest from writer to publisher or are they still both head on? No. Or? Uh it's just been, you know, I've been writing for DAW and I was doing about a book a year. Then my latest series for them ended after three books, the World Shaper series. Uh, and the last one, The Moonlit World, came out in, uh, uh, I guess that was in 2020. Right. It came out in 2020. So I didn't have a book from them last year, but I wrote one and it'll be out. Uh, interestingly, uh, even though it's from DAW, it's not going to be a print release. It's going to be a, a ebook, straight to ebook, which they're doing with some titles now. Okay, so um, DAW isn't a real publisher then, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it depends on the title and you know and all that, but uh, I don't know. Uh, there, I'm still waiting to find out exactly what's going on there. But uh, I just talked to my editor a little bit yesterday, and because I had, she said there, she had some copy edit questions and I said copy edits but there hasn't been an editorial revision and she said oh I read it and it didn't seem like it needed uh, uh. Never, I've never heard that before so that was nice but anyway um, so that book's coming out this fall it's called The Tangled Stars it's a humorous space far future space opera um, and I'm currently kind of poking at a, uh, a YA novels but I do find that doing all the publishing stuff has certainly cut into my own writing and I need to rebalance that because I am still primarily a writer <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. Uh, this other stuff does have a way of eating into your time. And but I'm who, also doing what writers are going to be passionate about publishing. You know, <laughs> it, to me, it's I'm also doing freelance doing editing, which is connection which there. Too. Pardon me. I'm also doing freelance editing, which is. Oh, yes. Yeah. And again, too. though, that's the natural, right? 
I mean, you get to the place where you can submit and have a book accepted by DAW without substantive editing, then that's a good time to say, hey, hang out your shingle. I'm an editor. <laughs> yeah, it is out there. I, I Mostly I've been working through a company that, uh, you know, helps people publish their books. And, and uh, so I'm, you know, just one of their editors, a huge stable of them, I think, which is interesting. Um, it's interesting to see... It's interesting to, how can I put this politely, to see that there are a lot of people out there who are publishing books who would never have gotten published if it wasn't in the current publishing environment where you can mm -hmm. do that sort of thing. I guess mm -hmm. that's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, there's also, I think it's partly, I mean, there's uh, some people maybe will never grow, but um, it's partly a, a case of sort of growing in plain sight. Um, at one point, a few years ago, I was looking at some of Jane Austen's uh, Juvenalia, and nobody starts out as a kick-ass author, right? I mean, the first thing you write is not going to be necessarily your best thing. And these days, you can get it out there and get that sort of feedback in the world or get the help from someone like yourself working with a publishing company. The distinction between between being published and unpublished is is eroding there's there's a sort of more of a blur and that's for sure yeah. lots of people who go that route and put out their book and then maybe they have ideas of it's going to be um you know they're going to be rich and famous or something um and that doesn't work out and so they stop but if they keep going it just might be that their you know their juvenilia is out in public as opposed to having been shared with six people <laughs> um as it might have been before so, it's not quite juvenilia, but the book I put out under my attic imprint, the only one I put out is called Assignment Avalon. And it was written by, it, it's under the byline Eddie Willett, which is what I was known as uh, when I was growing up. And uh, that's because I believe I wrote it, I know I wrote it sometime in the 80s. Uh, so my uh, the little blurb says that it was written by, uh, uh, actually, it wasn't quite a high school student, but you know, but it was written by a much younger version of myself who came forward in time in a stolen DeLorean time machine in order to <laughs> take advantage of modern publishing opportunities. <laughs> oh, lovely, I, yes. It's so old. I know the inspiration for it. It was the very original Microsoft Flight Simulator, which I was playing on my Commodore 64. And at the time, the graphics considered of a green line for the ground and a blue line for the sky and a little <laughs> wire frame of build an occasional building like the sears tower in chicago and that sort of thing and you know just representations of runways and stuff and uh so i wrote a book that's all about it's about a space pilot that crash lands on a planet that's uh turns out to be where the, the evil you know empire is trying to regroup its forces and the only weapons she has at hand are the local biplanes so she has to fly these uh, primitive biplanes and help the local freedom fighters stop this from happening so it's uh, <laughs> well and, and how many sci-fi authors do you know who wrote a star trek episode when they were you know in high school <laughs> i just i never wrote a star trek episode but i actually drew pictures for a star trek fanzine okay yeah cool <clears throat> so I, you know I what we should, that do, uh, we should do on one podcast or the other someday is uh is is get together some of our juvenilia for lack of a simpler uh, uh, lack of a better well, phrase. 
and have a little fun as that's one of the things I have to do in my retirement is weed my boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff and decide if I want to throw it out or do something with it. <laughs> I uh, actually suggested that Denver Worldcon, I guess, which was in 2008 and they did it and it was me and Josh Palmatier and uh, Connie Willis and Sarah Hoyt were on this panel where we were reading from our juvenilia. Well, Connie didn't actually read from her juvenilia. She read from the true romance stuff that she wrote when she was starting out, true confessions kind of yeah. stories. I don't know what Josh read. Sarah uh, spoke Portuguese growing up, so she couldn't go too far back. <laughs> uh, but then, uh, but I was reading from my uh, my epics because I wrote three novels in high school, and I, they're still here on my desk. I used to I used to hand them around at school readings, but they got kind of tattered, so I don't do that anymore. But uh, I, I've, I've I've they're typed too, so I actually started the process of op optical character recognition on the one I wrote in grade twelve when I was sixteen. And I was going to put it out. If I did that, I would just literally throw it out as an ebook. And my only concern is that it might prove more popular than anything else I put out there. Which would be, <laughs> which would be awkward, right? <laughs> it's called Flavors of Fuck. That's what it's called. Oh. <laughs> well, that, that sounds, you know, like a uh, provocative. It was a serious, serious fantasy novel. It had a, it had a map and everything. <laughs> Well, this, we're coming up on half an hour here, so I, I've got to reluctantly call this one, but I would love to talk to you again sometime, Anne. Um, I'm just getting myself sort of roused up to being pretty regular with reality skimming. Um, but uh, let's talk to each other again, maybe, you know, before the year is over. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be, I'll be right here at the, at the computer. And if uh, anyone listening wants to find out more about you and what you're up to on the publishing and writing front, the website is edwardwillett.com, E-D-W-A-R-D-W-I-L-L-E-T-T.com. -E and is there anything you would like to uh, add before we, we wrap? Uh, just a couple of other mentions. The Shadowpaw Press is at shadowpawpress.com. And then my own podcast is theworldshapers.com. Okay. And maybe um, about the press, it's Shadowpaw, just the Shadow two Paw. words, no spaces. Oh, yeah. All one word. It's the name of our cat. <laughs> ah, yes. I've got one of those too, which is desperately trying to get involved here. Um, <laughs> and his, his picture is the logo. So I noticed the picture, black cat, right? Yeah. Yeah, I got a black cat too. It's really hard to take pictures of them. They are. <laughs> so I want to thank you very much, Ed, for, for agreeing to this. And uh, and let's talk again before the year's out. I All would the enjoy best. that. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on Reality Skimming. <laughs>